the years we've spoken about big people, about Chalokim of Chal Yisrael, or better said, Chalokim of Torah of Chal Yisrael, Chalokim of Ruchnis of Chal Yisrael, and destroyed. Some of them were rebuilt, but it's a small fraction of what was. Some of it was barely rebuilt, and it's just a shadow. Some of it was not rebuilt. There were people who half of them was cut off. They were killed in the prime. They were not Mayochyomim. We spoke over the years, different people. This time I want to speak about somebody who I think really he, he represented a chalik of terror that was never reestablished. And um, it was something, it, it, it was a, a it was a magnificent chalik of all Yisrael's Ruchnius. And for whatever reason, we weren't Zeichat to have it yet. No, how many people are familiar? There was a, a music called an Oibelender. With the country that we call today Slovakia, that called in Europe, all the countries were, most of the countries were shifted around back and forth, and around and about. But what's today called Slovakia era was at times part of Hungary, part of the Hungarian Empire, part of Hungary itself, part of Czechoslovakia, but it was called Oberlander, was the upper mountains more, and it had its own shavit of, of, of Chaisra, magnificent shavit. The Nossi of that shavit was the Chsam Seifer. And the Chsam Seifer and his tzur and his signin were, were something that really hasn't been reconstructed. On the one hand, the, um, it, it was some Seifer and his base medrash. They, they were part and parcel of Shemei Munas Yisrael with a tremendous kanos. They were misbadal from any Ra and Mishayim. On the other hand, they had certain Nimusim that were close to Germany. Their Yiddish was a German Yiddish. There was a Kepeda on Seder, cleanliness. Um, they, they were magnificent on Yerachamim. One Yichud of the Chsam Seifer, the, um, the Chazanish said that the last Rebbe that you could learn the entirety of Torah from. In other words, see everything in him was the Chsam Seifer. Chsam Seifer was a Talmud Chacham in the Shaya, he was a Paisik. His Koyach and Pulpul, his Koyach, he had an Amkus that some of Nochem Shurni would say, Betzim Sacham Seifer. He took care of Kehillas, he was a rough in the full sense of the word. He had a Yad Kabbalah, which he, not a big Yad Kabbalah that he never spoke about. That was part of the Shita, but they didn't. It was a certain worldliness. They knew a lot of Chachmas. It wasn't something that was taught in schools, but people of Royal Akach, it was part of certain broadness. And they were to interact and speak with society around them. Incredibly Yuchadik Shevet. 
and Chassam Seifer and his base Medrash was the was the was the that was the heart and the neshama of that. Into that world, in 1903, a person named Michael Bear Weissmandel was born. Michael Bear Weissmandel was will, div- will divide his tkufis into three tkufis. Oylam bebinyane, oylam bechobane, maybe oylam bebinyane. He was before the war, he was during the war, and it was after the war. He's a demus. He was an incredible demus for many reasons. Unfortunately, the terror of that shavit hasn't been reestablished. He did establish a makam Yamav, but it was a very fine makam. But nothing has nothing to do with that original surah. My Rebbe Zidlus kind of Racha tried very hard to find something that's told specifically. The person told me himself, his grandson told me, that he specifically wanted him to establish that Torah again. Didn't, whatever reason, Mr. Hashem Alekeinu. But Al-Kopanim, understanding that besides the person, part of him, we lost a world that just not shalom without it. Every Shevet is a Chelek Islam without all Shabbatim. So, something to bear in mind. He was born in 1903. He was, his father was a Pashtid, or a Sheikh, He was a genius, an incredible genius. Um, in, in certain areas, his Kishan was incredible. Um, we'll see later maybe his, his Cheshbainis, um he, he was, he loved Erevin McVoy's um, numbers, figures. He, 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 was, he was able to put together all the Cheshbonis of Chazal in ways that were just defies it, 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 it incredible. He loved the Sugis that had a lot of Cheshbonis, technical Cheshbonis, and, and, and it was incredible. He once had an argument with somebody later on about how to be Neuheg and he, for a reason, he said, you know, you're arguing with me? It was a question of how to be knowing vis-a-vis the goyim, how to, you know, it was a question of looking ahead and seeing how many steps ahead. He said, how many threads did the parechas have? The person looked at him, he said, there's no gemara. He said, of course not. I'll make it a cheshbin. He made the cheshbin, putting together a, a whole bunch of gemaras about this, this, and this, and it came out that there were exactly Ramach threads in the Parechas. And this was, this was Paramtanim. This was the, everywhere, everything. He, he, he was, it was an incredible, incredible mind. And Cheshbonis and calculations and so on. His Asmada, from a young, young age, was incredible. He said in his younger years, he never slept more than three hours a night. He um, would many times be found in the morning again, you know, being Shakur, whatever it was. He, he was a parish, a Kaddish, fasted many, many Tanesim. He was a, um, he had a tchuna of being blunt and ish emes. A story, he was eight or nine years old. He was born in 1903, so he must have been, at the time, probably eight or nine. There was a famous trial, a Bayless trial, in Russia, where they accused the Jew of being, of, of a blood libel. 
the Russia was a little behind times. They still had blood libels in 1911. That was the, they, they, they turned over the world to save this person. So he was walking in Turnau, that was the city he was in, and the Archbishop of Turnau, he was a young boy, walks by, and he asked him, kid, who are you? So he said, he's the Sheikh's son. So the Archbishop told him, so your father must be very busy this time of the season preparing Christian blood for the Matzis. And he looked at him, and he said, murder? You people murder. For us, it's unthinkable. And then, I guess he, he went home and he, he hopped that maybe it wasn't the most political, diplomatic thing to say. And he was, and, and sure enough, in the evening, the, the archbishop came to visit the house. And he was shaking like a leaf and he was pale. And he said, he wants to see this kid. And he told him, I've never seen such divri emis said with such conviction. If I ever had any doubts, they're dissolved now. That was, that was a tuna, incredibly blunt, and it, it, it was something that he would carry for the rest of his life. Very blunt. He was um, a yadin in a tremendous amount of tumin. With his asmada, with his kedusha, he, at the end of his life, told somebody he knows 14 languages. He was able to describe... He knew how atom bomb worked after the war. He was able to tell... He was he, he, incredible amount of ideas and other things. He taught himself Arabic because he went to... Um, he went to Oxford and he got access to the library, to the Leon Library. He felt that a lot of things we have are fagrais. He was especially he was working on a safer. One safer that he held was an extraordinary safer. Kikor and the Yoyne felt was the best safer. And he felt that the prints were terrible. He knew that he had to. So he went there, he stayed there for over a year. He was able to, um, he, he taught himself a lot of chachmas. He was able to identify like this with others. And he taught himself Arabic because he felt to really understand Pshat and a lot of from the Arabic. He said it took him a little over four weeks to master Arabic. And he said that he found many ta'usim, things that appear nice. In the Arabic, they had made mistakes. He was able to figure that. He was an incredible person. The, 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 he was an Ely Niflin in certain areas, language and in and Hezbollahness, beyond words. That was him. He was an idea of Hazaracha. He went to Europe to look around and see the bigger world, the bigger Yiddish world. He went into Chavetz Chaim. So Chavetz Chaim was different 33. He couldn't have been, at the most, 30, and not, not likely it was the last year or two of Chavetz Chaim. So he, he sat, and he told Chavetz Chaim that he wants to come learn in yeshivas in in. West, in in, in um, literature, what we call literature yeshivas and so on, maybe Chavetz Chaim's yeshiva. Chavetz Chaim sat and spoke with him a long time. And then when he, when he finished, Chavetz Chaim told him he should go to Rabbi Chaim. He said, you have nothing to find over here. Just go to Rabbi Chaim Moise and then go back home. And Chavetz Chaim walked him out holding very closely. The, the Gabe, the Chavetz Chaim's Gabe, ran after and said, who are you? I never saw the Chavetz Chaim treat anybody with such deference unless he was a god Ladar. I never saw a younger man of your age, you know, the Chavetz Chaim spent so much time with him and walk him out holding him where he held him. 
he went to speak a learning with the Paimaiza, and Motra Savitsky, who was advised by Paimaiza, was there. He, he walked in right afterwards, and Paimaiza said, I've never met anyone who is shoilet so deeply on so many young. This young manchik is half a fellow. I've never seen anything like it. That was the Aracha of Tugdaylam. And he went back to Slovakia. To, and he got married to Nitro Rob's daughter, his Rebbe, and had five children. He was a very hidden younger man. He didn't mix into anything. He sat and learned Altair Vaveda, and that was Holmetzius. <coughs> 1938, and Europe started bubbling over. The annexation of Austria and, and Jews started suffering terribly. This hidden person who nobody knew about, very few, you know, his, his, the people around him knew him and so on, but he didn't have anything, no official name uh, of any sort, really, S- rolled up <coughs> his sleeves and he started working terribly, frantically at trying to save people. He was very well read. He knew what was going on. He knew people. He had tremendous shrewdness in dealing with people. And we'll see later, he, he understood that what drives people, what motivates people, and how to get them to do what they should do. Goyim, Nazis, and so on. And he realized that Europe is a big trap and it's beginning to close in. As part of the, the, the incredible hashkachas, um, as the dominoes were falling, Slovakia became quote-unquote independent. And Bimela, it had a certain level of ability to do certain things. Um, Austrian Jewry was trapped and they were thrown out, a lot of them, in no man's land, nowhere to go. Um, The Polish Jewry, another year, would begin to become trapped, and so on. He began to work feverishly, incredibly, to try and save every single person he could. His actions were as follows. He recognized that getting Slovakia became quasi-independent. It was independent in name. The, the Germans had a, a advice of a Jewish affair attaché to that. And so, but, but at the beginning, he started with deportations. And then Weiss Mendel spoke with him and convinced him that there's a lot of um, money to be had by not sending Jews away. He was extremely shrewd. He, he realized this Nazi, this, you know, told him that the world jury and so on, he didn't argue with him. He said, yes, um, you know, I know the head of world jury, and you're right, there's lots that can be gotten from it, and, you know, it takes two to play. I want bodies, you, you want money. And he said it, and he also knew how to say it, and what to say, and when to say and was able to use it to push off. They had two or three trains, and then they stopped. 
because they were waiting. There was negotiations. With he, he had found, he had found expensive paper. He made a letterhead for the head of world jury, and began negotiating. He found money. Somebody was wealthy in Hungary and stashed away money. So except that the money was old, dirty bills, they sat all night and washed them clean. They looked like it had just been minted, basically, and presented it to him as the first installment, $25,000. And that was one prong of his mahalkin. The second thing was helping smuggle out people to Hungary. At that time, Hungary was still safe, relatively safe to, to arrest. So Poland to Hungary Strait was very difficult. Poland through Slovakia... So he helped get people from Poland through Slovakia and then move them on to Hungary. People had been sent away from Hungary, from Slovakia to Poland, first two or three chains. They were in desperate straits for money. He sent food and packages. He worked nonstop, killing himself, literally killing himself. And he, and he couldn't stop day in, day out, going, doing, finding people, and so on. His yeshiva, Nitra, had become, his shver was still alive. Somehow part of the quirks of the Slovakian government was that there was an official, they had reasons why they wanted that, there was an official Jewish center. So they made the yeshiva the Jewish center, and as head rabbi, they didn't bother him. And he was able to house many people. It obviously took a lot of bribing of different gods, but they were able to house people, ship them over, smuggle them in and out, and so on. Thousands of people were saved by him through that, through the packages that he sent to Poland, through the people he smuggled into Hungary, through the people he smuggled out here and there and, and everywhere. He, 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 got, he learned how to forge passports, how to get forged documents, because at that time the Germans were still very wary of touching foreign citizens and manufactured passports and papers. Anything that could be done to save Eden. He did not care if the person was from, from, not from. There were people that were staying at, his, at night yeshiva. He asked them for one favor, that on Shabbos they smoked a cigarette outside, not to come in, into the building. But he, 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 a yid was a yid. And Pekoch Nefesh was there for everything and everybody. And even though he was a kanoi, a tremendous kanoi, and part of the sheet of his battles, but there's a time for this and there's a time for this, <coughs> he was able to, with a lot of chachma, they formed an organization that included the non-religious, all, all elements of that. And it was very important to work that way. And he was able to do it without any problems. There were forced work camps that were horrible conditions where they took a lot of the young people of Slovakia to work. He spoke, somebody named Andrew Steiner, who was the head of that, of that, he was a Jew, and he asked him to make a kosher kitchen. The person looked at him like he's crazy. And then he writes to Steiner, he said, I don't know what it was, but he spoke to me and spoke to me and convinced me and he said, you know, um, I did it. And he said, I got to know him. And I got to know what kind of magnificent person he is. He said, I did many courageous things. All of it because I was mushba from him. Th- that was his way with people. He was able. 
he he wanted they they caught him smuggling food and money back out to, to Poland, and a Slovakian chief of police interrogated him. This person was big, coarse animal of a person, and it was kind of Aristotle Hamas type. And he spoke to him. He didn't deny. He said, I smuggled. But he said, you notice when children are hungry and they're starving and so on and so forth. And after speaking, a tear rolled down this person's eyes. And he said, you know, I also have a child. And he let him go. His ability to work with people was incredible. He felt very strongly. He negotiated with the Germans that they, they can be bribed. Hitler can be bribed, but there are many, many levels under him that can be bribed. And his um, and he desperately wanted to bribe. He saw that $25,000 was able to stop the trains going from Slovakia to Poland. So, and, and he sort of suggested that world Jewry has great resources and so on and so forth. And he begged for money to be able to do something. And there was no money forthcoming. People didn't think it was necessary. People think he was right. People didn't think that it was something that could work. I don't know. There were other reasons, maybe. But he writes a letter. And he writes a powerful letter. It's almost irrepeatable. His words are, are you murderous? Are you crazy? People are being shechted day in, day out. And you want a committee and a report and a budget? So I have a limit, so maybe you don't believe me. But he said, but, but, but even the Suffolk, he said, you know, I have two people that come back from Auschwitz and reported what they saw. They somehow managed to, to find their way back. And they went through everything. They drew maps of it. And he kept sending letters to the West. He was able to do it. He was very astute, very shrewd. He knew who to bribe, which guy, which diplomat. And letters got out. And he said, just bomb the railway. That's it. He said there was a Maisa a railway track got blown up. And it stopped them from sending. There weren't many routes. There were very few routes they could use the Germans. And they stopped them from sending and he stopped and stopped them from sending the, the, the people. Uh, every bombing of a rail, it's not a big thing. And in Kölwein, he spent the years until finally 44, Slovakia's turn. From 38 to 44, he spent using every single moment of the day and the night. And when was Loya Melolaila? Just getting money, sending people, smuggling, everything he could do. And, and as time went on, he became more and more desperate, sending more and more letters, and nobody answered. Nothing was forthcoming. It, it, was, it was something that would haunt him to the end of days. The unheeded cry, when it was possible to do something, look, he said, at least bomb. Where are you? Bomb the railways. That's all you need. It was something that destroyed him and would never leave him. As he was being Isaac in that solo, 
he felt a tremendously sharp pain, strong pain on, on his heart. And he went to a doctor. The doctor said, you have a heart attack, you must go to a hospital immediately. And he said he debated, Pikoch Nefesh is there, everything. But he said, it's my Pikoch Nefesh. And in two days I have a very important meeting with somebody. It's Pikoch Nefesh of 20,000 other people. He went home, didn't tell them. So he told the doctor, he told the doctor that he's going to rest better at home than in the hospital. He went home, did not tell his family. Spent two days in bed and went back to work. And his heart degenerated over, over time. He'd get these massive heart attacks and finally killed him. He had a very dest- a destroyed heart. And he kept working. And then Oslovakia's turn. In '44, he tried and pushed and pulled. Nothing worked. He told people, he felt it was a mitzvah to tell people that they need not to listen to the Germans. They said, Germany wants one thing, to destroy you. So whatever they tell you, it's because it's the best way to destroy you. Don't go to a ghetto. Don't register. Run away. Whatever they'll do, it's better than if you go to a ghetto. Because going to a ghetto, you're just putting yourself into the box to be shipped off to be killed. And, and he said, even if everybody runs away and half get killed, at least half will be left. He told people that when they send you away in railway cars, you should take, um, you, should, you should have a little saw with you. And he gave people these tiny saws that you could saw metal with. And he showed them how to jump from a railway car and how to wait for the right moment and how to jump in a way that will soften the blow and so on and so forth. He was an extraordinarily knowledgeable person, thought out, tremendous ability to, to project in the future. One incredible story about in, in a whole different facet of him in this in this in this uh, Hatzolo. He somebody came running and it was on Shabbos <laughs> and something else. This they needed a letter for X, Y, or Z. This is Satmarov's Makurov said over the story. So he began crying and he took out a letter and wrote. And the um, and he asked him. The, the person asked him, why are you crying? He said, Chil Shabbos. So he said, but it's Kuch Nefesh, it's Doicha. So he said, it's Doicha, but it's still Shabbos. I do what I have to do, but my heart still still burns for Shabbos. Satmarov was spoiled tremendously. He said, here's a person that was Machal Shabbos, every Shabbos of those years. He was constantly busy doing something, going with the train, sending money, writing. He was Kuch Nefesh. He never lost the sensitivity. Who says to the but Shabbos still hurts. He, tremendous regish diktusha, tremendous regish diktusha, is Phyllis, tremendous regish diktusha of a person. In 1944, he tried to um, tried to push off the Xera. They arrested him. They kept him in arrest, and then they brought him and the family and put the family in a car to be sent off to Auschwitz. He had this little saw with him, and he sawed out bars from a window. And his, he um, pushed himself out. He had his wife and five old children with him. His plan was that he would take them with him. 
they would all jump out. The different versions of what happened exactly, the person who he spoke to closely said that as he hung out the car of the train, he slipped and he was going to take his children and help them jump and then jump out. He slipped. He slipped. He fell badly, broke his foot and bones and watched the train disappear with his wife and children. He was physically smashed, emotionally broken, and he slowly crawled to a point of civilization. He couldn't walk. Somebody let him sleep on a roof for pay. And then he, f- he remembered that there was a bunker somewhere. A friend of his had told him. He put one and one together, managed to get a message to him, and they carried him there. A person writes memory. He was with him together. His name was Gellis, still alive. He said... One night, we hear groaning, and we see Natali was the guy, the policeman, coming and bringing on his shoulders a vice mandal. We thanked him, and we tried to make a vice mandal comfortable. But the person that we found was not the person we recognized. The vice mandal was a destroyed person. His physical destruction his family, and from the fact that he hadn't been matzliach to save anybody. The fact that he thought he would later say many years, for many years he would say, it's not my five children and my wife. It's 20,000 children that I had in my hand to save. And my society said, I didn't. There were 20,000 that I had, I negotiated, I worked out. That's what doesn't has allowed him to recover. He sat in terrible pain and kept muttering about how it is that other Jewish organizations did not want to participate. And then for six months he sat in the bunk with them, and another incredible part of his person came out. He began working on a shita of Dilugib. It's become popular as the codes. Um, it's, it's that if you count, a, you start with a certain letter and you count a certain amount of letters again and again and again, you come up with tremendous remorse in the Torah. He had his first gili of that when his shver was nifta, which was during the war years, right before this. And he said he had a chalam that he should open up a safety Torah and count the Oseus. And he did it. That was on a Shabbos. Mozart Shabbos, he found out his father had been nifta around that time, and he found in a safer somewhere that a person, some of Misasa, should know the count of the letters in the Torah, because it's hard to learn. Should know at least the count. He felt there was something to it, and he sat there six months, working these things out in his head. He told somebody, before I even count. It's as if the letters tell me where there's going to be a word, and I just count to make sure. He said, it's not natural. The stipler, they showed him his thing. The stipler said he wished he could have met him because without Ruch HaKadosh, it's impossible. 
to give an idea of, of, of the level of, of, of amount, he, if, he said if you start with the letter Aleph in the first Bracious, and you count the amount of letters in Megillah Sesta, which is 12,110, you get to a Samach. Another 12,110 will get you to a Tuf. Another 12,110 will get you to Reish, Esther. Esther ben Atoyim Minayim, he has this remiss. Um, that, that's incredible. And, and, and these were Perperois. The whole time, he, and they, they, the people who wrote over from him didn't bother to write it when he was saying them. They, and they have a collection of it, a handful of things. Every Malacha de Rice is Merumas with the same Sheikh, with the same Derech. It's a number that's meaningful in context. It starts at a word that's meaningful, and you get spelled out exactly what it is. It, it, it's, it was an incredible chalik uh, of Torah that was muster. It was a remis under the world of remis that he had um, what it is, how it is, why it is. Don't know. He, doesn't, he said he doesn't know himself. He said he just he takes. He sits down, and it's as if the oasis jump at him, and he knows instinctively where he's going to find something he was going to find. That was those months. Two weeks before, two or three weeks before, they, before Germany gave up, they were able to get him on a train to Switzerland, um, the Kastner train, and he ended up in Switzerland. He had a massive heart attack, and he was unconscious, for a few weeks. Strapper Vereva was with him together in the both in the bunker in Switzerland was Mishan Hashem, in name Chaim, I was in Spal for him. And the first thing that Michael said when he opened his eyes when he came to was, Why did you schlep me back to this world? I would rather have stayed there. And he told him, No, you have a family, you're going to have a family, you'll rebuild and you come to yourself again. He never came to himself again, in fully. He was destroyed. Physically, his heart was a, was a, was a shmata. His emotions were raggedy. And it was very hard for him to put us all together. But he did it anyway. He ended up in America. And he tried, he wanted to rebuild, build something. He didn't want to get married. He was sitting with someone with a chav of his. I don't remember who it was. And he said, let's learn together. And he opened up the Shokhar Rebbe And they learned that it's a mitzvah for a person to marry a woman. And this person, it might have been the Shokhar Rebbe, stood up and said, be ma'ayin yourself. Came back a few hours later. And Rebbe said, I can fight with everybody anything in the world. With a Sif and Shokharach, I can't fight. And he got married. He agreed to get married. Married a woman, and he would eventually have with her, I think, six children. And he started to rebuild. He wanted to rebuild a kehillah, something that would be similar, the yeshiva. And he opened night to yeshiva. He had to go around begging for money. There was something that was against the grain of him. He was a refined, aristocratic person. The people didn't were grub, didn't understand him. 
didn't know what he wanted. He looked to them, sort of, uh, just eliminate Yishuv. He was also not always diplomatic. He could be very blunt and say what he felt and what he thought was Emes, was Ish Emes. That did not win him any friends. But he built. He built a Mokram that the Hasmada would be tremendous. If there was one thing he couldn't stand was, um, was people wasting time. That was to him was a tremendous Avla. He, um, and there was no time off. He insisted people learn all the time. He also had a dream. He felt that they should have lived in a bubble. And he wanted to make a farming community where most Bachram will learn for a few years. Most of them will go into part-time farming and part-time learning. And a Yechidi school will sit and learn. And he had hoped the money coming from the farm would support them that was his big dream. But it took a while till he, he was able to get that mountain land. But he had a small place in that yeshiva. They worked very hard. Had tremendous agmas nefesh. Very, very difficult for him to... Um, it, it was difficult for him to do what it takes to make a yeshiva. Finances, everything about it. The building, the, the work with people and so on. But he did it. And his heart was failing. I want to read a few things that he said and that he wrote about the war, about what he, some of his insights. Like I said before, I don't think that anyone has, anyone could speak about these in Yanim unless he himself was there, unless he's a Golubatayr. And he meets both criteria. And the Mela, I'm going to try to say over some of the things that from his mouth, his words. They asked him, one, one Maison Nifla Ma'id, in 56, there was, in Hungary, the revolution, rebellion, whatever you want to call it, and they overthrew the communists for a short while, and a lot of Jews had the ability to run away. At that time, they had the Mlava Malka for the yeshiva, for Mount Kisco, Nitra. Um, in, in, um, he, uh, he, he, the Mlava Malka was the large fundraiser. And when Sir Shabbos Kodesh Vayeshev, he said, I've been thinking a lot about what is Macha Basenabalameno. And let me tell you, our brothers in Hungary are in a tremendous tzara. They need a lot of money to pay the goyim to escape over the border with their children and their families and everything else that you need. And therefore, I'm telling you, even though the yeshiva is in a very difficult financial straits and I have a lot of debt, I must tell you, this money is going for the saving of the Jews that are in tzara. Now, Kodesh Baruch will help the yeshiva. People were shocked. He said, we remember how we felt when we went to Sitzara. And, we, and, and, we, and our eyes, Tzipino Bekilion Enayim, day after day that money comes from wealthy America. <coughs> and here in, in, in America, they collected money for everything except for this. And we ask ourselves, how could it be? 
how could it be that they didn't close the yeshivas until the Nadvanim, the money must go for Hatzalah? Um, will we do the same Avla? We're sitting here quietly and, and, and waiting for the, uh, and, and you know, it's another night for us. And there's a different type of night for hundreds of Jews who are waiting for someone to come to the, the, the person to smug them over the border. And they don't come without money. Do they have enough money to give them? And we're collecting for the yeshiva? How could I do this? What, um, what about the Bachna was sitting hungry and learning about smart and then they have to cross the border? Do they have the money? Is there an organization that will help them? Does anyone have a greater obligation than me? Baruch Hashem says there's enough money by Jews. And you can have both also, the yeshiva and that. But if there's somebody here that thinks that by giving to the yeshiva, he will not be able to give there, please do not give the yeshiva anything. And just give them. Besides which he said, even of the money you do give the yeshiva, Maisa is going to go to there. There was one type of matzah. This is one description of how he lived, how he lived, what he, what he had lived, and, 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 and uh, was mekayimit. What he, what he screamed to others, he screamed to himself, when his matzah was quite desperate. A second thing, and they have, they collect different things he said about why he thinks that the Hurban of Europe came. And he says, so he speaks about Amuna. He has, he was a big Hanoi. He does speak a lot about the Tzionim and things like that. But I want to speak about things that are Noget to each and every one of us. He said, one thing, he said over that why is it that even though the Tsarist came from Germany and then it spread to other countries, but Lemaise from Germany, a lot more people were able to save themselves and they were able to take their money out also. Whereas the other countries, all the money and wealth ended up by the Goyim. And Rabbi Chaber said, because our brethren in Germany have a lot more yashras in business with the Goyim over the years and did not cheat them. And therefore the money in their hands is theirs. No Goyim's money is in their hands. Whereas in other countries where we have a lot of aniyas and terrible dachkos, and you will matter yourself to do these things. But on the day of Zam, on the day when our Kaddish Baruch who destroyed all that money went back to the Goyim, <coughs> so that the money go back to the original Goyim, that's one insight that only somebody like that could say. He said also, someone asked him uh, why it came. And he said, that they punish in Shemayim. Averis between Adam Chaveroi, that they punish here. And then he said again this thing about the Germans. He quoted some cipher, Sefer Zikron, some cipher. Somebody was nifted at 30, and they asked him why. He said, He, did, he, he was the it was very from. But he was somebody that created a lot of machloks in Akihila. Who helas chasirus habotim lamala lamala, lahoitza niim vevyoyim and efes mokamoshirshem. He upped the rents 
till poor people had to leave their homes. And they cried out to Kaddish Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu marich apei b'mashnegir rakhlele terosi. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is erich apayim watsnegir to him and his Torah. Masha'inki masha'gil mechaveroi mimaya lefreya. But when it comes to mechaveroi, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is pereya. He, um, another thing that he told somebody about it. He was speaking to a cousin of his who was a rob in a certain town. And he says, and he said as follows, Reb Michal Ber, if somebody will ask the Olam what caused the Churban, this terrible Churban, somebody's going to say because the wife of the Rashkol Lemberg didn't cover hair. I say, maybe, but it's not Muchach. Some will say it's Vaday because in this town in Europe there was Cholshaz Fahesia. I'll say maybe. I don't think it's Muchach. But he said, nobody says it had to do anything with Sinas Chinam. Why? Because that's not maybe. That's 100% Muchach. It happened twice. And then he turned to the rubber the town. And he said, the people in your town, while they were soaking in the hot mikveh, they were thinking how to stab each other in the back. That, no one thinks, caused the Chorban. It's incredible. You want to hear something of his own is hashvas. He once walked by and he saw two Yosemim in, in, in Zeshiva quibbling, fighting over something. It hurt him terribly. And he sat there and he said, Kindalach, I can still hear your father saying Shema Yisrael and I hear your father saying Shema Yisrael. What would he think when he's saying Shema Yisrael if he knows that, how you're behaving? person said he never was able to open up his mouth again in the Machlaikas ever. He himself was dying. His heart was failing. And his wife was expecting. It was the sixth child, I think. And they asked him, he asked, please do not name the child after me if I, if I won't be around. He was around at the end, but he said not. Because he said, my wife is young. She has to get remarried. It's going to be emotionally difficult if a child is there with my name. So, please, do not name the name after me. She needs to move on in life. My mom, Muska, she did not. She raised the children herself. She had a lot of pressure to get remarried. She didn't want to. Satmar Rav decided to speak to her directly. Satmar was very mediated And he told her, why don't you get married? And she said, you don't put a sitter on top of a chumash. And he said, okay. His ability, on the one hand, he was a kanoi from 10 doors ago. His ability to make a kiddush Hashem, to influence people. I want to read something incredible. This is a, 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 um, a letter that was written to him when they bought the field in Mount Kisco. There was a lot of Hisnagdus. Well, it was a lot of Hisnagdus. It also, it required $85,000, of which he had 
to be exact, zero. But he looked at the place and he fell in love with it. It was two, three hundred acres. It was sort of set aside from other places in Westchester County, but it was set aside. You have to sort of cross over a little bridge, huge building. He could make a farm there, and they could and they could live there and so on. The one little thing he was money. So there was a Gvir, not from Gvir, who was willing to lend him five thousand dollars. The vice man was a very astute person. He said, after after having a shaykhus with this Gvir, he doesn't make his own decisions. There's somebody advising him. He doesn't have the capability. And he found out that the person who advised him was an economist whose name was Alvin Johnson. Um, Alvin Johnson was a world-class... He had started as an economist. He lectured in Cornell in Columbia. Okay. Um, he was an economist who later branched out into... Um, he, he created a school called the New School of Social Research. It was much more sociology-oriented. He was a world-famous person, a lot of publications. School was noted. He was, was a big person. And Revaisen said, he's the person I have to talk to. So the big thing was, he didn't want to lend money because they thought he wants to make a farm. And economically, the land wasn't worth that. He didn't realize that the reason why he wanted a farm was first of all for the Bacham to be able to sort of come to themselves emotionally, and secondly, as, as a source of local parnasas so that they could as much as possible not have to do outside. Didn't realize that. And he went to speak to this Mr. To, to Professor Johnson, Dr. Johnson, whatever you want to call him. He wrote him a letter. This person listened, didn't answer. This is 1948. It was a great pleasure to meet you and to learn something of the plans of your school. As you must have observed, I came to the meeting almost completely ignorant of this nature of your project, and my comments were necessarily limited to minor details. I assumed you mean to set up a school to train young refugee Jews in agriculture. That was the basis of my objection to Mount Kisco. You've soon made it clear to me that your objective is not the soil, but the soul. That meant that all my judgments had to be entirely recast. You call enterprise yeshiva farm settlement. It is a grand project, too good to carry a misleading name. Why not call it simply yeshiva settlement or hill settlement? Leave the word farm out of it. The farm, you will say, is part of your equipment, but equipment does not deserve a place and name. As I listened to your very clear exposition, this was you speaking German, I made up my mind that you have something important, something splendid and inspiring to offer. To have under your hand a group of 70 young persons who have experienced the most burning bitterness of life, to draw them together into spiritual unity, to endow them with the divine privilege of working each for all and all for each, to make life into religion and religion into life. What nobler work could a man do under the sun? You'll forgive me if I seem part of the time, if I seem part of the time abstracted. I was asking myself the question, can this gentle rabbi do so exactly so even a work? The conclusion forces upon me, you can do it. You have been through fire. What was unessential, you was burnt away. And alas, much more. But what is left is pure metal. That's what a guy saw. That's 
what a guy saw when he spoke to him. And he writes at the end, I wish that you come. I understood your German perfectly, and you understood my English perfectly. I would love to have a cash and to keep a cash with you. Please come whenever it's convenient. That was the tour of the person. I want to read something that he spoke, the last Rashi ever said. And this is something where he gives away the mohos of a person. Incredible. Two weeks before his Petira, there was an annual Nava Malka for the Yeshiva. He came in despite the fact that the doctor told him he shouldn't. When he came into the hall, there was tremendous excitement. For 10 months, he had been bedridden. And one of them called out Yechia Adenenu, and everybody answered Yechia Adenenu. He started his drasha with the Pasuk of Tzidik Hadin. Instead of Parsha Shavua. And he said, the Sifri says, Keil Emuna, Shehemin Bailamo Ibrahim. Chazal say, Akadosh Baruch Hu had faith in the world, and then he created. It had to be, it had to be for Hashem to believe in the world. For who more than Akadosh Baruch Hu knows how far the world could go from there, how distant could distance from Akadosh Baruch Hu until it becomes the world we saw. And if not for Akadosh Baruch Hu's moon in the world. There could not be a world, would not have a kiyum. But Akadish Baruch Hu had a moon in the world, and that's why he created it. And didn't listen to Midas Adin that said this world is going to be a horrendous world. We live in a tkufa where more than any other time we understand why we needed why Akadish Baruch Hu, why we needed this moon of Akadish Baruch Hu in the world. The Navi Yeshaya says. You are a hidden God. Yes, he says. The more we push him away, the more he hides himself. And then he went on a bit. Then he continued something about himself. Rabbi Sai, I want to tell you who I am, even though it's not polite. But I must. My title is, I am one of the umpteen thousands of people that HaKadosh Baruch Hu put into this world because he believed in this world and created it and believed in me that I could be Ta'elas Vakwari Yisbarach. It's not Gaiva, it's not Isalos, it's not Isasus. Every person was created only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu believed in him and only then was he created. He says... And every person has to ask himself, day in and day out, am I the person that HaKadosh Baruch Hu believed in? Is this the person that he wanted? I have very little koach left tonight. I hope HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give me more koach. He said, when I came here, I tried to do many big things. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no. I don't want to speak more about this. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, no, it's no. But I realized that even when he said no to the big things, 
you don't become potter from doing small things. <coughs> that was the person. He lived, he was Nifter in 57. He lived, he was 54 years old. He was, he represented a world, Oberland, that doesn't exist. His island became generic, Siddish, very, very fine, Yidin, wonderful Yidin. But the Tzura of the world he came from, his Ge'onis, his Amkus, his Regesh, his Pikhis, never were able to fertilize a, a living world. He went through all Gehenim, but not only the physical suffering, the screaming and screaming and screaming, and Karasi Vein Oina, nobody answered. Nothing. And he had it in his hands. He was destroyed, the, 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 the devastated. He had it. 20,000 kids could have been saved and gone. He came back, he was a sick man, physically broken. His heart was spent. His emotions were devastated. He, he spent another 10 years maybe, a little more, rebuilt a small yeshiva and never came to Lucham Nacha, left over in Amman over to Simon. What do we have from it? Two thoughts. He was Megala Achelik and Taira of 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 these Ramazan, these something nobody had ever seen before. In the eighties and the nineties, I don't, could be now also, I'm not so familiar with it. Thousands of lost Nishamas came back because of those codes. Those codes for a Tukufa were the single most effective tools for Kirvachaikim. That was one thing. Who knows? That maybe he said he, it wasn't Kishrin. Kishrin was to, to count those letters and to, and to make Seder of it. But he said there was Minashamayim, Kiloy. That's something. I think another thing also, and I think this is a deeper thing. You know, Torah has a message that reads straight, letter after letter, base with a rage, with an aleph, with a shin, and given a tough as gracious. Torah has another message. And sometimes you have to wait 12,110 letters to get to the second letter of the message. And then another 12,000. Communion, Esther, Anoichi Asteponai. We don't know. But we do know if there's a letter in the Torah. There could be the other piece that's not connected in our eyesight. Who knows? It's, he, he was Megala Achelik in Torah. That's a gilu to us at what it means to understand that there are stars. That sometimes it may take who knows how long to read the message. And maybe the, 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 the 70 years, the 80 years have passed by and not enough to read that message. <coughs> Certainly is not. And one more thought. And this is something that he said himself. And uh, he made a bris for his fifth 
child, named Menachem, and he said as follows: The Kadis is Shimcha Ba'ulam, Kishem Shemakdishim Asibishmei Morag. Kedusha is a joint effort of Malachim and Klal Yisrael. Malachim includes Malachim and includes the Nishamas of Tzadikim in that world. He said, I lost five children and today I'm being Machnes Libris, a fifth child. The five there and the five here are together be Mekadesh Moi. Chomish Lomas Chomish. There's a little bit of a remez there. And I'll flesh it out. Chomish, Neket Chomish, is a, it's taken from Kabbalah. Kaddish Baruch has five anhagas merumis, Kaviyachon, the right hand, like five fingers, five anhagas, Kaviyachon merumis, the five fingers, left hand. And these anhagas are parallel. Linyaneinu. It means there are anhagas from Midas Hachesed and anhagas from Midas Adin. Malochim are all Din. They were created on second day. Then they, there's, they, there's no tolerance. Malach is, is, is not tolerant of anything. Luisa Ponim says, and anyone living in this world, and especially in his world, is embodying a Baruch's chesed. The shleimus of the shevach Hakarish Baruch is five kineged five. Posek in Tehillim, Kofalaf, Ledovid Mizmar, Chesed Umishpat, Ashir Lecha Hashem, Azamera. The Shevach and the Shir Takarish Baruchu is when you have Chesed and Mishpat bound together. The five children that were blazing embers of Midas Adin and the five children that were Midas HaChesed together are being Meshabeah those are the words that he spoke at the bris of his fifth child and I'll add a choir that has five Malachim and five Bnei Adam needs a conductor that is half of this world and half of the other world. He came to America. He was a Shevakli. Half of him was there. Half of him was burnt in the crematoriums. And half of him survived. He was an embodiment of a Shira and a Zimra of Chesed and Mishpah together. Maybe that was a demus. It's not a demus that can be marich yomim, because that's an incredible demus. It's a demus of achres hayomim. Oh, when kishem shem varachim, loy kishem varachim, varachim alon, kishem shem varachim. That was his demus. He was the churban, and he was the binyan, and he was somebody. Maybe because of his memory, maybe because of his regish, 
he burned the 10 years in America, he was still burning crematoriums. And half of them was still building. And his Kedusha was a Kedusha, the two together.